Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping people pull their ideal future into their present, whatever that means for them. In today's episode, we'll be examining how improving our emotional intelligence can lead to better, more productive relationships in all areas of our lives, from relationships with family members, our relationships with our spouse, our significant other, coworkers, managers, all of them. So let's get started. Emotional intelligence first appeared in the literature in the mid-1960s, but wasn't really popularized until the mid-1990s, and it's been around ever since. Well, what is it exactly? Well, it's most often defined as the ability to recognize, understand, manage, and deal with emotions. So people with high emotional intelligence can perceive and manage their own emotions as well as those of others. They can then use that emotional information to guide their thinking and behavior. They have the ability to differentiate between feelings and adjust or adapt to various settings or environment. It sounds pretty straightforward. On paper, yes. In practice, it's demonstrating a high degree of emotional intelligence across all settings. It's really, really difficult for a variety of reasons. First, we all have emotional baggage, whether we're dealing with issues from our childhood, maybe we're dealing with violations in relationships where trust was violated. Uh, maybe we had suffered from various types of abuse, traumatic experiences. Invariably, these are triggers that set us off and the kind of hot buttons in the moment that compromise our ability to respond in an emotionally intelligent way. One other consideration, and this one is really somewhat difficult to internalize, and that is believing our emotions and feelings are objectively real. This one's a tough one. So, uh, so check in with me on this. In the moment, our emotions and our feelings are absolutely real. They're absolutely fair and they need to be accounted for. The question is, are they objectively real? So for example, a number of months ago, my wife was on a conference call and she got off the conference call and was really pretty concerned about how she was being perceived by others. And in the moment, her feelings on that topic were absolutely real for her. And I made a point to acknowledge that. But I also took it one step further, which was a bit of a slippery slope. I took it one step further and made the comment that while those feelings are absolutely fair and real, they're not objectively real. And I asked her if she would really conduct an experiment to get her immediate supervisor on the phone and talk through it. It turns out that she, she did that. She took that test. And it also turned out that how she thought she was being perceived was dramatically different than how she was actually being perceived. She is perceived in an incredibly favorable, positive way. Even in the moment, she was feeling as though she was being perceived in a negative way. So our feelings are real to us in the moment, but they're not necessarily objectively real, right? But we live in a world where perception is reality and we become prisoners of the moment, which is to say it's easy to get caught up in the intensity of a given moment and lose sight of the big picture. We lose perspective of the broader context. Let me back up just a little bit. Becoming more emotionally intelligent brings with it so many benefits. 
we become more comfortable in our own skin and we have the ability to relate to others more effectively. We, we can develop our emotional intelligence just like we develop any other skill. Like anything else, the more we practice at it, the better we get, the more we improve. It is, however, a skill that many people take for granted. Another way of saying that is that most people believe they're better at it than they actually are. This in psychology is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is a cognitive bias where people with low task ability or low skill overestimate their ability. In layman's terms, they think they're better at any given skill than what they actually are. And I know I'm geeking out a little bit on you, but this is something that we absolutely have to account for whenever we try to understand what emotional intelligence is and the various components that comprise it. And there are four components to emotional intelligence. So let's unpack that. The first is self-awareness. So take a moment right now and ask yourself, how am I feeling at this moment? That speaks to self-awareness. So in the moment, you probably have a really, really good idea of how you're feeling. And you can, you can drill down and sort of peel back the layers of the onion and start labeling those emotions um, with, with words that describe the feelings of those emotions. So it, you might be listening and you might feel relaxed or you might feel stressed or you may feel frustration because you're stuck in traffic. But in the moment, you know exactly how you're feeling. So the second component is social awareness. So when you're in conversation with someone, you probably have a pretty good idea about how they're feeling in the moment. I mean, we, in order to do this well, in order to, to develop our skill, most people tend to uh, demonstrate a high degree of self-awareness. Where things start to break down is on the social awareness side of it. Another, another word for social awareness is empathy. And basically, empathy is being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We can relate to them because we've gone through the same or a similar experience. And that differs from sympathy in that we can relate to uh, how someone is, is, is feeling where if they feel sad, we can relate to sadness, but we can't necessarily empathize because we haven't gone through something similar or the same. Here's where the communication starts to break down. When people have a low degree of social awareness or empathy, in the moment, they, they might not care about what the other person is feeling in the moment. They, they might not agree with how that other person is feeling in the moment. And this becomes that pivot point. This becomes that linchpin of whether or not the conversation or relationship starts to break down which leads then to the third component, which is self-management. You know, how do we regulate our behavior from moment to moment, especially in those moments where we know how someone else is feeling and we either disagree or simply don't care. And we've all been in arguments and we've all said things that we wish we could take back. And, but in the, in the heat of the moment, we were unable to effectively regulate our behavior which then leads to the fourth component of emotional intelligence, which is relationship management, right? How effectively are we managing each and every relationship? And 
whenever we whenever we say or do hurtful things, we we almost need to take a step back and ask the question is, what hurts you so much that you have to hurt me to heal it? Right? It's not a competition. It's not a zero sum game. I mean, is winning that important to compromise the integrity of the re relationship you claim to value? It just seems sort of inconsistent with what we claim we want. I mean, as Susan Collins said in her book, Fierce Conversations, what do you win if you're right? And that really sort of gets at the, the crux of whenever you know, you, our conversations devolve into disagreement and further devolve into argument, it becomes this back and forth competition. It's, my gosh, what do you win if you're right? And in order to start developing a higher degree of emotional intelligence, what we really need to do is work backwards from relationship to self-awareness. So it would kind of go like this. We would prioritize the relationship. The relationship is the thing we value most. And so we would put that at the center. And knowing that we've prioritized that relationship, what we would then do, especially in the heat of the moment, is we would press pause. We count to eight, do something to press pause in order to better effectively regulate what you're going to say next, better effectively manage your next move, your next behavior or action. And if we're able to do that, we're able to see the other person in the moment, even if we disagree with how they're feeling, even if we just don't care with how they're feeling, we're able to acknowledge that they have these emotions and feelings about this particular topic while we're being fully self-aware in the moment. Let me give you, let me give you a different uh, way to think about this. Most of you have probably had dogs. And if you, even if you haven't had dogs, you've been around dogs whenever you, you or their owner have been gone for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And what does the dog do whenever you come home? The dog gets extraordinarily excited to see you. I mean, you've been gone all day. And even though they don't have any concept of time, you've been gone all day and they're just over the top excited to see you. And I'm not overly proud of this, but in a former life, uh, I had a, a chihuahua named Zeus. And whenever I would come home, uh, he would dribble on the floor. Which, I mean, he would pee. He'd be like a little squirt gun. He would pee on the floor and because he was so over the top excited to see me. And I would bend down and pet him and like, hey, buddy, how are you? Let me clean that up. And then I would tell him as if he could understand it. I'm like, let me go get the mail. And I'm gone three minutes. And I come back and he's equally as excited after me being gone three minutes as he was me being gone for eight hours and he starts to pee on the floor again. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that we humans need to behave like dogs. I'm not at all suggesting that we are biologically capable of behaving like dogs, but I think their behavior can inform uh, our uh, willingness and our pursuit of becoming more emotionally intelligent. I mean, we're not going to run up to our spouse or significant other or our friends whenever we see them and and pee on the floor. That's not that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is their behavior informs us that being more successful in life truly boils down to our ability to effectively manage relationships. And it, it this skill to improve, it, it, it makes our relationships uh, just the focal point. It, they make our relationships the priority, and, and we're in complete control of that, right? 
And when we do that well, when we prioritize the relationship above everything else, we help maintain the dignity of others at all times, right? It, it, think, about, think about how a conversation devolves into disagreement and devolves into argument. Right? Whenever we get the back and forth, we internalize what someone else is saying as their opinion. And they internalize what we say as uh, our opinion. And when we have competing opinions, we call them differences of opinion because the other person hasn't adopted whatever we're saying as their own. What's interesting is that what we're saying, we believe. What they're saying, they believe. So in effect, what we're communicating is our respective truths. So we don't really have differences of opinion. What we have are competing truths. And how we're, how we're feeling about our own truth, as stated earlier, isn't necessarily objectively real, but in the moment, it is absolutely uh, real for us. And I mean, gosh, more wars have been fought over competing truths in the last 150 years, and more deaths have, have resulted because of these competing truths. I mean, the Civil War, World War II, Vietnam. And the question is, to what end? I mean, to, to, to what end is the price of peace? To what end do we, do we risk damaging the relationships, especially those relationships that we claim we value more than any others? I mean, put this in context. If you, were, if you are in the market to, to buy a car and you go to the dealership, how, do, how are you treated for however long you're at the dealership? I mean, there's a salesperson that treats you unbelievably well. They take you for a test drive. Uh, they're, they're incredibly informative. And you're, you're just having this unbelievable experience and you feel really good in the moment with a stranger. And yet we end up treating them really, really well. We know how we're feeling in the moment. We know how they're feeling in the moment. We regulate ourselves really, really well, and we maintain the integrity of that relationship. And yet, why are we willing to tear strips off of the people we claim we care about the most? I mean, it just seems backwards. And if you want true freedom, we, it comes down to taking control and responsibility of ourselves and our, our own actions. It's, it's on us to choose what we want and developing this skill, developing emotional intelligence takes conscious effort. Individual differences, I mean, they move the relationships forward. I mean, in, 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 unfortunately, sometimes we just don't value those relationships. I mean, think about your experience in business. Managers are extraordinarily busy and they have a ton of pressure on them to produce. And it's easy for there uh, to be breakdown in communication and for them to not demonstrate a high degree of emotional intelligence because they have to move really, really fast. And when you have a conversation with a manager, you're like, why don't you take more time to get to know this person and take more time to let this person get to know you and start developing the recipe for leadership where when someone believes you have their best interest in mind, they'll start trusting you and then they'll commit to you rather than moving so incredibly quickly where we don't account for how someone else is feeling in the moment uh, or we don't care or we disagree and we say something that ends up spinning them out and minimally 
it, you're going to lose what five minutes of their productivity because they're distracted for having been spun out. And in order to in order to do this well, we need to be aware of how we're feeling in the moment. So as managers, and we're extraordinarily busy, as managers, we're, we might be feeling stress. And that informs the next move. That informs us whenever we're uh, engaging with someone else and we recognize that they may be feeling something different. And it's okay for them to feel something different. Emotions are neither right nor wrong. Right. But managing them is is key. So if even if we disagree or even if we don't care, we need to be consistent with then how we regulate our behavior because we're ultimately managing the impressions and the expectations of other people. And if you've ever had a, a manager that you just don't know what to expect behaviorally from moment to moment, I mean, maybe there's migraine Monday, tummy ache Tuesday, um, you know, we, we just don't know what to expect. And it's this roller coaster. All, all of a sudden that compromises the integrity of the relationship and subsequently the performance uh, at work because we're mired in distraction. And when we're distraction, we, uh, we fear making mistakes. We take fewer risks. And we, in, in so doing, we don't necessarily move the business forward. But what if we cultivated these relationships, these high emotionally intelligence, intelligent relationships where uh, it's okay to make a mistake because my response to you is going to be appropriate because I've prioritized the relationship, even if I completely disagree with what you did, how you did it, or I simply just don't care. Right? So th this sounds you know, really pretty straightforward and, and relatively easy to do, but in practice, it's extraordinarily difficult to do. And we might say, well, how do I know? How do I know, it, you know, if I demonstrate a high degree of emotional intelligence, how do I know? Well, you can go on the interwebs and there are a ton of free emotionally, emotional intelligence assessments that you can try, but the results really create a bit of a mixed bag because they're all self-reporting. And not only are they self-reporting, they're self-reporting in the moment. And anytime you take any type of self-assessment, it captures how you're thinking and feeling about it in that given moment. So what happens if you just came out of a really stressful business meeting, or you came out of an argument with a significant other, and you're taking an emotionally in emotional intelligence assessment, all of a sudden the results are gonna be skewed. You know, conversely, let's say you just met the love of your life. I mean, this person is perfect. That's going to skew the, the assessment results. So one other consideration, most people in, in anytime there's a, a self-assessment administered, most people uh, self-report higher than what they actually are. Right. So they typically in with emotional intelligence, they typically rate themselves higher in self-awareness. Um, because you know, they understand that this is an assessment, they want to feel better about themselves, um, and it, it doesn't really get a, give us an honest appraisal, which is why with any assessment, especially this one, you want to take that over a period of time, maybe once every three months or six months, because the, the goal isn't necessarily to have a completely accurate uh, result from any one of the assessments. The goal is to get a better understanding of what is directionally correct. You know, so if I demonstrate a high uh, degree of self-awareness consistently and you know, over time 
And if I am seeing that I demonstrate a low degree of self-management or self-regulation over time, now I have uh, information that I can, I can take and start practicing in those areas to improve. So what we need to do is we need to become a student. When learning about human behavior is absolutely fascinating. You know, study yourself, study others, assess your habits and tendencies, assess the habits and tendencies of others. Right? And I'm, what I'm talking about is the emotional habits and tendencies of others. Start examining those triggers that, that set you off. What are those hot buttons that set you off that lead you down the road of, of you know, poorly regulating your behavior and risking damaging the relationship? Start assessing the habits and tendencies of others and talking to those people about those habits and tendencies, especially those people that you're most vested, you have the you're most invested in, right? These are the relationships we claim we care about the most. Why not try to improve those? Again, I'm not saying we need to behave like dogs, but that their behavior informs us how we can absolutely improve every relationship. And when we prioritize the relationship above our ego, when we prioritize the relationship above our emotions in the moment because we recognize that while those emotions are real and fair in the moment they may not be objectively real right prioritize the relationship because the relationship is the most important thing so as we get ready to wrap up the question i have for you is this what do you want what do you want? Do you do you want better relationships? Do you want more positive, productive relationships? What about those relationships that you claim you value the most? If they're not going the way you want them to go, the cool thing is, and I've said this across multiple podcasts, the cool thing is, is you have control. You can modify your behavior. You know, if you were to answer the question, what percent responsibility do I have in any relationship? A lot of people would say, well, if I'm in a relationship, it's a 50-50 deal. And maybe some days, depending on if I'm having a bad day or my friend or my coworker or my spouse is having a bad day, maybe it's a 51-49 sort of split. Those, those aren't right. Our responsibility in any relationship is 100%. Someone else's responsibility in their relationship is 100%. It's 100 to zero in every single relationship which is to say we want to have zero expectations of the other person and what's what's just gets really weird on us is when relationships aren't going the way we we claim we want them to go we end up ha having expectations of someone else uh, that they behave in a certain way or they they say certain things at certain times or they respond in certain ways and the rub to all of that is very often those expectations are set without us ever having communicated those expectations. And then we hold them accountable to the expectations that we never said out loud. It's extraordinarily strange. It's extraordinarily damaging to, to the relationship and it breeds anger. It ultimately breeds resentment. Resentment is a cancer to any relationship and we're in control of it. We can actually do that. 
we're not don't set expectations for other people to, that we don't say out loud and communicate proactively. That's another that's another breakdown in in self-management. And the reality is, if you want better relationships, we can get better relationships. We can develop our emotional intelligence skills in all areas. I mean, if not, nothing will change. And if nothing changes, the, we probably really don't want it to change that badly enough. Right? If, if you did, something would change. I mean, you, you may not be happy about something, but you're not unhappy enough to change it. I mean, but if you genuinely want to make a change uh, for the better, if you want to change yourself so you can be better for your relationships, study emotional intelligence. There is no downside. And in those, in, in those moments, those opportunities in life where you take a step back and reflect, it's like, is there any downside? And if there's no downside, why not do it? It just doesn't make any sense. There's no downside for go going for a walk. There's no downside for eating, uh, e eating a salad versus uh, eating a Big Mac. There's, there's just no downside in studying emotional intelligence to even 10% even improvement over the course of the next three months and then a 10% improvement after that. And you're like, well, Ed, how would, I, how would I know whether or not I'm improving? Well, the proof is in the quality of the relationships. The proof is fewer breakdowns in communication, especially in those moments where you, are, you can't empathize with someone, how someone's feeling, or you just don't care with how they're feeling in the moment, but it doesn't lead to the devolution of the conversation into argument. That's how you know. The quality of every relationship will improve and in, in a measurable way. So it's all food for thought, fellow questers. Be sure to take a moment and subscribe. We'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating. Maybe write a review and tell your friends. We'd love to keep getting the word out. Don't hesitate to contact the show at thequestforlife.com. That's the quest, the number four, life.com. Love to hear from you. And as always, thank you for joining the conversation.